Welcome to Amplify, a podcast that gives marginalized communities and diverse people a platform to share their story and reclaim their narrative. What I wish someone would have done is to just talk to me as if they're trying to make a friend rather than they're trying to learn something about another country or about another religion. Before you enjoy the episode, we ask that you please support this podcast by sharing it with your friends and family and let us know what you think by leaving us a review and what you want to hear more on the podcast. Our message is to amplify the voices of marginalized and diverse communities. Just remember, it is most impactful when diverse people share their own narrative. Welcome back to Amplify. Today, I'm kind of doing a little bit of a different type of episode. I wanted to do something a little bit more organic and fun, and I really haven't been too much into podcasting within the last couple months, and so I wanted to get my feet a little warm and do it with somebody I'm comfortable with. I'm here talking to my cousin, Amira, today. Uh, She moved to the United States when she was 10 years old, and we're really going to talk about how she felt moving to America at a young age. So welcome, Amira. Hi, Summer. How are you doing? I'm doing good. What about you? I'm good, too. I get what you were saying about just, like, not feeling the motivation to do anything for the past few weeks. It's been really hard. Oh, God. Quarantine. And, I mean, we both, both of our families got corona, so that kind of put a halt on a lot of things. And just some personal developments and with school starting back up again. It's just been a little bit crazy, but I'm glad that we're here sitting down and talking and having this type of conversation because even though we're cousins, I don't really know if we've ever had this conversation of how you exactly felt moving to the United States at 10 years old and some of the things you may have felt because personally, like me, I grew up in the States from when I was born until now. I have grew up in the same town and I've never moved around. So my experience is definitely much different than yours. Yeah, and I think it's a really cool conversation to have because I don't really know your experiences either. And I would love to know more about how you grew up and how our differing environments affected the way that we are now. Yeah, it's very interesting because you think if you live in the same family or you're you're part of the same family that your experiences are very similar. But even among siblings or cousins, your experiences differ depending on what environments you grew up or what people you hung around with or just what schools you went to. So I'm excited to have this conversation. And I kind of want to start from the beginning. So I'm going back to... What, what year was it? Like 2013 when you guys moved here. And we pick you guys up from the airport and it's during Ramadan. So Ramadan is like a month for Muslims that they, they fast. And so they came to America for the first time during during that month and generally at our local mosque which is the religious center for muslims they host dinners every weekend so people can gather around and break their fast together and so we kind of just took them from the airport they dropped off their suitcases at our house and then we took them to the masjid and there they were so kind of i want to know your experiences of how you felt what was going on and everything like that yeah i still remember that day super vividly and 
I don't know, it didn't really turn out the way that I had hoped to or like imagined before I came to America. I just remember my parents telling me that uh, we're going to move to the United States. I mean, we've been talking about it for years and years, but it finally happened my fifth grade year. And I was so excited. I couldn't imagine moving to America, you know, like the countries where all the movies that I'd watched were at and like the country where the weather wasn't so hot and burning all the time. I was just excited to go outside and just to feel like nice and not just melting and I was excited to eat hamburgers and hot dogs every day which I know sounds silly but it's just what you see in the movies and as soon as I got here I couldn't wait to go outside because the most important thing to me was just feeling how American weather felt like and I just couldn't believe that it just like was neither cold or hot like the hot that I was used to and I just immediately loved it and so yeah we went over to your house just the idea of American houses was just so crazy to me because all I've ever lived in were apartments most people in the UAE lived in apartments too so just seeing that suburban um, like housing style and stuff like that was just so crazy and it was something straight out of the movies for me especially the round doorknobs because we didn't really have those in the UAE I don't know I saw those as a super American thing and I was so excited to use one of those doorknobs and yeah so when we first came into your house it was just so many feelings all at once that's it like you're making me laugh because like such small things like doorknobs or whatever like as an American that's like something I definitely don't notice and I didn't realize America was really known for like hot dogs and hamburgers and stuff I feel like yeah (laughs) I feel like a lot of people, at least from my experience, people overseas really romanticize the idea of America. And they think all of America looks like, you know, New York City, LA. And so when they come to this small town in Evansville, they're like shocked. But people don't realize that most America looks like these small towns. And like, they don't look like all those big cities. Were you shocked that this is how America looked like and not necessarily what you were used to, like on television, where most of what's perceived is like bigger cities like LA or New York or something like that. Yeah, I honestly wasn't really shocked all that much. The movies that I watched had a lot of like the suburban neighborhoods. So I wasn't super shocked that it wasn't a big city. I honestly wasn't expecting it to be a big city because I never thought of America as having big cities. I just thought of basically the suburbs as opposed to like Dubai and Sharjah where I live, you know, like the big cities overseas. I just like was expecting more honestly I think like farms and just like smaller neighborhoods but I honestly had no idea about like what city or what state I was going to I didn't even know like the United States had 50 different states it was definitely like eye-opening seeing the different regions of the United States and kind of seeing it as more of a country rather than just some idealistic setting of a movie. I think um, you were touching on a point, which I think is really important for people to know, that like the immigration process is very thorough, that before you guys came to the United States, we probably were doing paperwork and all of that and kind of just waiting probably for 10 years. It takes a long time for people to be able to come to the United States. And I don't think I think people think it's so easy that you just, you know, sign up some papers and then here you are. But it's truly a hard process. And that's why I think 
a lot of immigrants don't take these experiences or this chance for granted and they're always striving for that American dream. And I think that's something that maybe people that are born here don't necessarily realize. We kind of take a lot of what we see for granted that you're an American and, you know, you're kind of given stuff that other people have to work really hard for. So your first experience is going to the Mejid. We kind of covered that. What about your school experience? Can you touch on that? Like, I understood that you went to a British school in United Arab Emirates, but did you have any trouble with language? Like, how was that process like? Yeah, so I went to a British school in the UAE, and it was a private school. Basically, like, if you wanted to get a good education overseas, you had to go to a private school because public education just was really, really bad. Basically, to set the scene, my old school was majority Muslim. I didn't really have many interactions with people who weren't Muslim. The majority of them were also Arab, too. Like, they spoke Arabic and everything. Everything was in Arabic except for our English class. I mean, I knew English, and we've been taught English since since I was born, basically. But I never really used it in conversation and just casually. So the English that I knew was more grammar and formal English uh, as opposed to like fully talking to someone in English. And so like I realized as soon as I got here that that was going to be a hard adjustment, especially in school because I didn't have my cousins with me to talk to and I didn't have anyone who would understand me. So I had to force myself to learn not only conversation style, but also the accent of Americans because it may not seem like it's that hard, but switching from like a strong Arab accent to an American accent is really, really hard and takes a lot of work. Well, you seem to ha- have caught on to it eight years later. So yeah. you, made it to the, you made it to the other <laughs> side, right? <laughs> yeah, it took a lot of practicing with Google Translate to get to that. Oh, I didn't know you practiced with Google Translate. Yeah, I use the American accent from that to practice words like 40. That 40 will always be the death of me because just it may it seems easy to say once you understand how to say it, but actually transitioning from the Arab accent to the American accent with 40 was just I just my brain could not grasp it. I literally had to just keep repeating it until I finally got it. Yeah, I was actually talking to my dad about that a couple days ago, I was telling him like what words are hard for you to say. And there are certain words for him. It's just hard for him to say because, you know, Americans, we don't necessarily like enunciate all of our words. I say like we kind of eat up some of our words where you don't like enunciate every single thing. And so it's very hard for somebody who English isn't their first language or even it's not even English being their first language, but to adapt to the American accent because it's different than I'm assuming like British people in the UK and stuff, I'm pretty sure they enunciate most of their words. So it's, it's easier to pick up. And generally, Americans speak faster, I think. But he was telling me that some of the some of the words that he found harder, and he was shocked by that you saying that 40 was a hard word. Everybody has their struggles with certain words, depending on which person, because there are certain words that are hard for him to say. And there are certain words for you that are hard to say, too. Yeah, definitely. And I think like, My family, each of us had different experiences because I was 10 years old when I came here. So, I mean, I was young enough to quickly learn the accent and the language, 
but I still was old enough where it took me some time to adjust to it and like a lot of effort but with my siblings for example they were around I think four to eight years old I think so they had an easier time sort of adjusting to it and grasp the language I think quicker than I did but yeah my parents definitely struggled too they were only really forced to practice their English more when they uh, got jobs here because they're surrounded with American people so they have to use English and they've definitely had an interesting experience with it yeah I think another thing that you touched on was you came at an older age and all your siblings and other fellow cousins too So are you glad that you came older because it gave you a chance to still kind of hold on to your Arabic language and also like their traditions and like customs versus when you're thrown in younger, I feel like you're so sought out to assimilate with people that you often forget where you came from. You start just forgetting your background in general. Like I definitely noticed that with my siblings too. Like, I have to remind them about some of our traditions and customs. Uh, For example, like in Arabic, when an adult calls your name, you don't just answer with ah, which is the casual way of saying yes. You answer with nam, which is the formal way. And my siblings just sometimes answer with ah, which is pretty disrespectful when you're talking, like when someone calls your name and you answer with ah, you're supposed to answer with nam. And sometimes I have to remind them of that. And they think it's dumb. They just don't see the difference between nam and ah. But I guess I don't really blame them because American English doesn't really have that distinction between two forms of yes or two forms of speaking. And you're kind of teaching me some new things too, because generally, like from an American background, I never answered my mom when she called me. I never said nam. I always said what or basically <laughs> for, like for us, we really mix the English and Arabic language a lot. A thing our parents make fun of us for is say like our parents ask us to vacuum the living room. We'll say, okay, we're tennising it right now. Like we'll add <laughs> ing or ed to step and we'll form like our it's like kind of like spanglish but for me it's like kind of the opposite where I kind of developed my language after you guys moved here because I was surrounded by people that would speak Arabic too and people that that either didn't know English or didn't like speaking English so I would speak Arabic to them so that helped me form more of my language because at home my like even though my parents liked it we talk Arabic and English but Uh, kind of like my dad's default and my mom's is always English for some reason. So that's why Michelle loved like their language is very good because I think they they practiced on us and working and, you know, just going out in the community and stuff. So it's kind of like an opposite story where some of your siblings kind of lost their language when they moved here. But when you guys moved here, I kind of gained some language, some of my language. Yeah, <laughs> I really <laughs> like that. I didn't know that, actually. Yeah, I was, well, we even still have this th- competition where we kind of, we rank our siblings who's be- the best in Arabi. And the problem is, I feel like my Arabi differentiates between who I'm talking to. Like, if I'm talking to my parents, I speak so much better than if I'm talking to your your dad or our grandma. 
because I feel like I'm nervous and I'm like held at every word <laughs> versus if I'm talking yeah. to my parents, I don't really think about it twice. I think it's also because like, you know, with your parents, you can rely on English in case it doesn't work out. But like with my grandma, you can't really do that. Yeah. She, yeah. Cause like she doesn't really understand English. She knows when you're kind of talking about her, but you don't, she doesn't know specifically what you're talking about. She actually did try to learn English. Like she went to classes and so did your, like your parents, but it's, definitely as you get older it's really hard to take on a second language and I don't think people realize that and they don't necessarily give people a break you know people are like why don't they speak English they need to learn English but a lot of these people they probably know more languages than those other people do and especially coming here older it's very hard for them to come in and speak the language and not only that is like their idea of English that they learn they learn like a British format American English is a completely different ball game. Just like we said before, the enunciation, the pronunciation, even Americans have like idioms. And I was even testing my cousins who live in the UK. Like we have like sayings that literally if anyone else besides an American heard it, they literally make no sense. Like if you heard yeah, piece of, exactly. If you heard piece of cake, like people say, Oh, that's a that's a piece of cake that you're going to eat. No. When Americans say piece of cake, they mean it's easy. You know, like I was, yeah, <laughs> I was actually going to mention that earlier when you asked about school, because our um, middle school had a day called Idiom Day. And I had been in the country for maybe a few months. So, you know, still adjusting to English and everything. And they just pile on these crazy phrases that I had absolutely, I had no idea what an idiom was, but I just went along with it. And it just made, no sense to me and no one really like put in any effort to explain it either I just kind of had to learn it myself it was definitely an interesting experience yeah they're they literally make no sense so I don't know why people are expecting like especially if you're coming from out of the country even if you're within the United States and you're not constantly interacting with people who they grew up with these sayings like you're not going to know them even my parents with how much they interact with all different types of people when we, the other day, we were, like, testing them on idioms, and they didn't know, like, any of them because it's not something that people use all the time, but they're also just, like, super weird. They literally make no sense. Yeah, exactly. One, one of the ones that confused me the most was two peas in a pod. It just did not make any sense to me. Oh, there's a lot of things that don't make sense about the American language. It, people think that everybody needs to know it, you know? Yeah, and one thing I feel like people don't really realize is that immigrants, I know it. not everyone views them that way, but because they don't have a full grasp on American English, they're viewed less intelligent than everyone else. And I think it's like really apparent to me when if I'm talking to someone and they ask, oh, what do your parents do? I tell them, oh, both my parents are engineers. It comes as a big shock because, you know, you don't really associate, like, immigrants with having, like, uh, what's the word for it? Advanced education, I guess. And it really hurts to see because English isn't the only language in the world. There are so many different languages that are even more complex than English. Like, I'm pretty sure Arabic is more complex than English. I think but, it's one of the most com complex languages behind, like, yeah. Chinese and stuff. Yeah, definitely. And people don't really realize that. And if you, oh, you don't know my language, then you just must not be as smart as me. When in reality, no, there are people who are just as smart and even smarter than you 
who just happen not to speak the same language. And it can honestly hold someone back too, because I remember when I first came here, I wasn't allowed to go into a higher math class, even though I was good enough to go into that math class. But because I had come from a different country, they just thought that I wouldn't be able to do it. I just thinking back about it now, it makes absolutely no sense because most of the time, if anything, overseas education is a lot harder than American education. So I was ahead compared to where my classmates were in sixth yeah, grade. Americans don't rank very high in the educational system. It was a shock to me when I went, went overseas and, you know, your family explained how the educational system overseas in the Middle East works. It's intense. Like people don't realize it's competitive. Yeah. Like even like to the point where you have to take end of the year exams and they're putting that type of pressure like on elementary schoolers where uh, in order to to pass like a certain year you have to get a certain score and there's this competitiveness between people you know each class you get a grade here and you kind of get an overall GPA you know they have like a grade for all of the classes you took and so even to the point where like in high school, for example, you have your senior year, which is basically, basically all the years of high school don't really count there until your senior year, you take this exam at the end, your average has to be between certain points to pursue certain careers. So say you wanted to be like a doctor, engineer or something like that, you have to be ranking like in the 90s. Um, and so every, every different career ranks you. And so if you don't get those, then you don't really have your choice of what you want to do. In America, like, you know, in high school, like you do well to get necessarily in a good college or to get good scholarships, but doesn't necessarily determine what you study or what you want to do. And you always have redemption in the American system, which I don't think people realize you're always forgiven for your shortcomings, that you're that you always have second chances to do something better. But for there, it's like you have one chance and you have to take that chance or else you're not going to be able to get where you want to be or to get that choice. And a lot of times, even people don't realize if you're talking about like the UAE, for example, and we're Palestinian, and a lot of times Palestinians don't have a home because of the occupation. So they're kind of moving around. Like my mom, they lived in Kuwait. And then after the war there, they moved to Iraq. And after what happened in Iraq, they had to keep bopping around, but they never had a place that they gave them citizenship where they felt safe to stay. And so that's why a lot of those people with higher degrees, they're not able to do the work because a lot they're not giving it to them because they don't see them as part of their own. What's so beautiful about the American system is that anybody that comes here can have the chance to get American citizenship and be part of this melting pot. Yeah, exactly. And I'm glad you mentioned Palestine because one thing that Americans aren't really fully aware of is that your passport, depending on what country your passport has on the cover, you can go to certain parts of the world that not everyone has access to. So different countries, there's like a ranking for the passports of different countries. There's countries where basically the whole world is open to them, and there's countries where they're barely let into any other country. And one of those countries is Palestine, like Palestinians, because Palestine isn't really recognized as a country of its own by most of the globe. People with a Palestinian passport aren't 
allowed anywhere. That was one of the main reasons that um, my family pursued the American citizenship and the American passport because with the Palestinian passport, we're not even allowed to go back to our own country. Like I've never stepped foot in Palestine because I have a Palestinian passport, which I know sounds so crazy, but that's just the reality of how the world is. And so many Americans are just completely unaware of that. When I tell people that, oh, I haven't, I, like, I've never been to Palestine, they're so shocked. They're like, oh, how can you call yourself Palestinian? Like, I am Palestinian, but it's not my fault that I've never been able to go back to my own country. That's the reality, not even for you or for me. It's reality for all Palestinians. I don't know a single Palestinian that consistently is going to Palestine because of the conditions there, even any war-torn country, whether we're talking about like Syria or Yemen or any of those types of countries. But the Middle East is truly like, it's truly a hard place to go because of everything that's going on. A lot of people are trying to seek refugee in these other countries and are hoping one day that those countries will be good enough to be able to visit again. So a lot of Palestinians, the way that we hold on to our pride in our country is by continuing those traditions. That's why you always see Palestinians are very loud and proud about their culture and their heritage because of what their country has went through and how they're not able to go there. So they're trying to preserve what they can for future generations to still be able to recognize their culture. Yeah, exactly. And when I came here, it was just crazy how my classmates were unaware of how the rest of the world worked. Like when I told people that I was from Palestine, they would just always be so confused and ask me, oh, you mean Pakistan? And I, I'd be like, no, like Palestine. It's just they weren't aware of the different countries that were that are present in the, like the rest of the world. And also just how people outside of America live. Like they just viewed them as foreign objects that I was always required to answer questions about where I came from and my culture. And it was honestly very tiring at times because at one side, yes, I'm proud to be Palestinian and to be Arab. But on the other side, I was just a kid who wanted to be included with the rest of the kids in her class. And it was honestly very hard to do that and I don't think I was able to do that until high school which was three years after I moved here so it definitely took a while. Yeah I think you were touching on like the educational system here in America. I think it's because even so much of history is written from the perspective of a white man. They're writing that history based off that perspective. So they're not very inclusive of other cultures. I've had experiences where I used to host a study circle with middle schoolers in our local mosque, and they were talking about their specific experiences um, in their middle school, learning about different religions and religious centers. When it came to Islam, because they're Muslims, oftentimes they would misrepresent or misstep or say something that was necessarily incorrect. But the the teacher was, wouldn't necessarily be receptive to change what the curriculum had about it, despite it being from a more reliable source than probably the people who are writing that curriculum. So it's not even, I just don't think they're receptive to it either. I'm thinking about world history, for example, and there's like units about like Islam or whatever. Are you going to put what you think is the right answer and get it wrong and then hope that the teacher believes you? Or are you just going to put what they think is the right answer so you can get the grade? Yeah, I know what you mean. 
it was just always like so funny to me how on our quizzes and unit tests about like the religion unit in our social studies class I always struggled with Islam the most because I just wasn't sure if I was supposed to put like my actual beliefs or what the book had and it may sound crazy but the book actually had a lot of inaccurate information or just information that was so watered down that it wasn't even close to what I knew. So honestly, for me, I struggled a lot with those. Yeah, it, it's a tough line. Like, it's really hard, especially when you're asking a kid to do something like that, where those people are still trying to get into their identity, and then you're forcing them to kind of choose a side whether they think this is right or this is right. So I, I kind of wanted to end off things a little bit. And I kind of wanted to see what would you ask of people that they met somebody new that, you know, immigrated from overseas, from any type of country. What would you ask them to do to make it an easier transition for you if you moved to the United States? Mm, That's a really tough question. Like an open-ended question, right? Unfortunately, unfortunately, I can't give advice on this because I grew up in Evansville, despite people not thinking that, like people are ever so shocked that... I grew up in Evansville, but even in college situations, I personally wear the headscarf and so does Amira. In college, a lot of times I would meet with professors and I was always misrepresented as an international student, despite having a very blatant American accent. And also, unfortunately for me, which I became aware of that I have a slight country accent, unfortunately. I wish I didn't, but I do. I grew up, <laughs> grew up in Indiana, close to Kentucky, so I have, I have a little bit of a southern accent. So I'm very shocked when people think that I'm an international student, despite hearing my accent. Even if I share my experiences of growing up here, a lot of times it goes over people's heads and they still kind of attribute what they see with what they think. You know, those are, I don't know why I mentioned all of this, but it's kind of like my experiences, but just to kind of give you some time, I guess, to think of that question. And I can kind of give a little bit of insight of what I think maybe people should do as well. Yeah. The one thing that comes to mind is if you do have someone who just moved to the United States in your class, don't treat them as if, oh, I have to introduce them to our culture. I have to like, help them assimilate, that's not really the idea that would make them feel most welcome here. Like, honestly, when I think back about it, what I wish someone would have done is to just talk to me as if they're trying to make a friend rather than they're trying to learn something about another country or about another religion. Like, I feel like, honestly, most of my interactions in middle school were just, oh, people wanted to learn more about where I came from and I didn't really feel seen as a friend it was just more as like I don't know some like cultural anomaly the main thing is talk to them as if you're just talking to anyone else that you want to be friends with because especially today like when I came here I didn't really share the same like pop culture as my classmates but especially to like in today's age, like overseas kids grow up with almost the same pop culture and like cultural media, like Disney Channel and popular bands as uh, American kids. So I guarantee you that you're going to have a lot to bond over and to talk about. 
And it doesn't just have to be, oh, I want to learn more about your culture. It can also be, oh, let's be friends. What are you interested in? Because that'll be so much more effective and so much more welcoming than just treating them as an information book list. I can agree more. And I think surprisingly, like I've had this experience but more when I got older, especially because when you wear the headscarf, it's really a big identifier that you're different, like I mentioned before. So often I feel like I'm excluded from stuff or from conversations because people just don't think I'll get it or I'm, you know, I'm not from here. I think even even looking for people that grew up in the States and they still feel like people think they're different. I always feel like I have to initiate the conversations. I have to get myself out there. I have to say something. And it's very exhausting to be like that. And it's come to the point where I just don't do it anymore. I don't necessarily reach out anymore because like you said, it's exhausting to be this information booklet for people or you feel like you have to describe stuff to people, I would just say, like, go up to somebody, introduce yourself, and try to find something that bonds you together. Like you said, human beings are so similar that our religion is not going to be something that divides us or our ethnicity or nationality, because those are very minimal things in the schemes of what most human beings go through or what, what they like. Yeah, exactly. I completely agree. Well, thank you so much, Amira, for being on the podcast. This is really fun. And I wish we could kind of extend the conversation a little bit longer. Is there any way that if somebody wanted to contact you or kind of discuss with you more about this topic that they're able to reach you? Yeah, I'm actually on the cultural communications team. So if you have any like extra questions or if you just wanted to, yeah, if you just wanted to ask anything, you can contact us on our cultural communications instagram page and facebook page at uh, cultural com with two m's at the end um yeah and also we have an email uh it's cultural communicate with no e at the end at gmail.com yeah thank you so much amira again so you'll know for sure like she's the one that answers most of instagram me or her so even if i saw something then I would kind of direct it towards her. But again, I had a lot of fun with this conversation and I'm so glad to have had you on. We kind of learned a little bit more about each other. Yeah, definitely. Thank you, Summer. So one last thing before we go, we like to do a segment uh, with each of our guests that we've just started recently where it's called Be an Ally. So we're just going to kind of discuss maybe something that you've seen like on your social media, maybe books, movies, something that you're watching just to keep yourself educated and to keep yourself aware of things that marginalized communities may be going through and how you can empathize and how you can advocate for those communities. Yeah, um, I honestly mainly keep up with the news and everything through The Daily Show because it's like a mix of comedy, but also like providing like important information. And um, they tend to bring on a lot of guests that talk about certain issues with like dealing with marginalized communities. I just love how Trevor Noah uses his platform to sort of bring light to those people and to get us to be more informed. And they do little segments that are either about like Black history or um, women's history. And it's just really interesting how they can amplify marginalized voices while simultaneously using comedy. 
do you think like this is a good introductory thing for someone to do that's trying to educate themselves like it's something that's not as intimidating because they use comedy with it yeah definitely and I always have this mindset where if you want to look more like if you want to research something you can't just go straight into like the details and you start out generally and um, that could kind of give you different ways to um, branch out yeah you may want to be an ally and help amplify marginalized voices but you might not know how to and I think um, the Daily Show kind of provides like a good alleyway for that. I think a lot of times when we see the news a lot of times it can be super depressing so a lot of times we want to distance ourselves for our own mental health and I've experienced lapses of that especially during quarantine and even now and so I think with the Daily Show and with that comedy in there it it provides a more lighthearted approach for you to still get that information, but not necessarily feel feel like depressed or feel like you always have to distance yourself from it. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much for sharing with our guest about what you think they could do to be an ally this week. Thank you, Summer.